shaky ground, everybody. Last week, killing off relationships, so if there's a relationship you want to get rid of, here's your last chance. <laughs> Today, we're talking about dishonesty, and if I can be honest, um, it is tricky. It's hard to know what is true, what's my opinion, you know, what am I responsible for in telling someone uh, tricky deception, you know, my own deception in myself of believing something that isn't true and I'm deceived, but also my own efforts to deceive others and to trick them into thinking something that may not be true. Honesty, dishonesty, seems to be more of an art than an exact science. So, in AA program and other 12-step programs, they say this, sobriety is only 10% about alcohol, and it's 90% about honesty. Hmm. Well, here's where we're going today. Stinky breath, speak no lies, speak the truth in love, and life in color. All right, what would you say to this couple? Here, what, would, what would be your advice to these people? So Ernie and Margaret, they go out, they have a date planned, and they go and they eat dinner. And, you know, they go to that place in Bonnie Bray that has a sign, like, if you can't handle the garlic, go home. Have you seen that sign at least? Well, they go there, and they eat, and they enjoy, and it's good. Um, and that was a nice beginning to their evening. And they go home, and, you know, the evening's progressing, if you know what I mean, and uh, Brad, you can ask Brad. Brad, just ask Amy; she'll tell you all about it. And uh, so, <laughs> so it's progressing, and then things actually start to simmer down. Do you know why? Because Ernie just cannot stand the smell of Margaret's breath, and so. Um, Ernie just, in his heart, he wants to say to her, Margaret, your breath stinks, and I am turned off right now. What is your advice to Ernie in that moment? Got it already? Probably pops up in your mind. You can just tell him what to do right away, right? You know, should he say that and tell her? Should he keep it to himself and just divert their evening activities to non-face-to-face activities? Where is he being dishonest in any of this? Well, it seems that there's two things going on. First, your breath stinks. And second, I'm turned off. Do you feel the tension in both of those? The tension that is happening and how to navigate forward? So the tension in your breath stinks is that, yes, there is this verifiable truth that your smelly breath stinks. But then there's the other tension side of, should I say this? Should I tell Margaret? How do I tell her? You know, this tension of, you know, is this really about me? Is this my problem, my issue, or is it Margaret's? So there's tension in that. But there's also tension in the, I am turned off comment. You know, again, it's the verifiable truth that your experience in that moment is that you were turned off. But at the same time, whose responsibility is that? What do you do with that? How do you say that? How do you share that? 
How do you move in this relationship from this thing of truth to this place of sharing and confiding so that there can be flourishing in the relationship? Got your advice in your mind? Are you going to tell them? Just hide your feelings. Just stuff it down. Ernie, get through it. Or are you going to tell them, Ernie, just make your demand. Declare it and get it done with. Tell her her breath stinks. What are you going to tell Ernie and Margaret? Well, you can work on that in your mind for a few minutes. Let's continue on with speak no lies, speak the truth in love. It may be no shocker that this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God has revealed himself as holy. God speaks the truth. God speaks no lies. And it is precisely because God is holy that he tells the truth, speaks no lies, and we can know him. It is because he tells the truth and follows through on his promises that we can have confidence in God, that we can depend on God. In fact, even knowing God depends on him being solid and true. Because if God was not faithful to his word, we'd always be wondering, oh, you know, God said he would do that and he's for us. Well, I don't know. But if you don't have that confidence, you're always wondering. But instead, we have this strong confidence that God is a rock. He's our foundation. And we can go to him with trust and confidence and base our life on knowing him. And because we are made in the image of God, we also share in this ability to speak the truth and to tell no lies. And so it is part of us also in our character that we can let the world know who we are and share with the world ourselves. And that can build relationship and grow. So speaking no lies and telling the truth in love is important for us as well. On three levels. First level, simply your own personal integrity. That what you say is true, and inside of you, you know it's true, and you're living that out in integrity. But second is there's a benefit in your relationships, that people can know you, they can depend on you, they can trust you, because you say what is true, and you follow up on it. And that you say what is true, and you do it in love. And they want to be around you. But then third, there's something even bigger, the benefit of the broader social functioning that when you say something, you do that. You know, business is based on that. If I say I'm going to put in this soda can this stuff, well, when I drink it, I trust that that's the stuff and it's not poison and going to kill me, right? There's something in social functioning that's required. All right. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul has a lot to say about speaking the truth in love. And this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, a church that he started. And so he's writing to them, telling them about this life of leaving behind your old ways and embracing the new ways of God. And he uses this language, this image of taking off the old clothes, the old garments, and putting on the new garments of God. You know, putting off your old ways of deception and falsehood and corruption. Take that off and put on 
the ways of God in holiness and righteousness and in love. So he's writing to them about these things, and right at the center of this taking off and putting on is dishonesty and honesty. You know, take off the dishonesty, the falsehood, the deceitfulness. Put on these attributes of God of honesty and righteousness and holiness. Rather than reading the whole chapter, I'm just going to quick give you a couple of the verses where Paul speaks or writes about speaking. So in verse 15, Paul says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we grow into maturity. In 25, he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. We're in this together. It's important. We depend on you being truthful. And in verse 29, he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I think that's really powerful as well. Just thinking like this frame of how I approach life and how I say things. I'm going to speak truth in love. I'm going to speak no lies. I have this filter of, ah, does this help someone? Okay, I want to help them. And that's the place that I'm speaking from. And then in verse 30, Paul draws in this very unique, interesting thing. Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And for that, we're going to have to hold on to that for a moment. Come back to that later. So our words. Our words are perhaps the place of the greatest tension in our following after the character of God. You can argue over lunch. Words versus actions. But I think actions don't have the same tension. Because when you do an action, if you do the right thing, it'll be written down in the history books as you did the right thing. No matter if you had a bad motive or a good motive, you did the right thing. But over here in words, it gets a lot more complicated, right? Our words don't have to be so set in stone. I can say to this group over here, this thing, and turn over to this group of people over here and say the totally opposite thing. I can use words to deceive, to mislead, to manipulate. I can be dishonest. You know, I can seemingly easily slip out of my garments of God with my words and put on the old ways and quickly shift in between those two. You know, I can use dishonesty to get myself out of a situation. I can use dishonesty and tell a little lie, you know, to make myself look better. Words are a place of great tension in how we reflect God's character in the world. Let's go back to Ernie and Margaret. Do you have your advice for them? Are you ready to tell them what to do? Well, I think there's two extremes of how we can respond in that moment. Over on one extreme is candor, telling the truth. So in candor, my responsibility is to speak the truth. And the problem is that you do not know the truth. So my job is simply to tell you the truth, and now my job is done. And you, however you respond, whatever you do with that information, that's up to you. My job is done. I'm free. So, Ernie, 
If you're on the candor extreme of response, you could say, Ernie, just tell her. Margaret, your breath stinks, and I am turned off by you right now. Boom. Drop it on her. Be done. And with a candor person, you always know what they think. And that is a gift. You always know what they think. But you may not know if they love you or like you. Because it's always just dumped right on you. Well, that's one extreme. It's just candor, tell the truth. But over on the other extreme, we have compassion. And compassion is carrying concern for the feelings of the other person. So my responsibility as a person of compassion is to make everyone happy. And compassion feels this tension of the truth, that the truth hurts. It can cause some conflict in the relationship, and I don't want that. So I'm going to stay away from that. I'm going to run away from the tension by smoothing it over. So in this situation, Ernie might say to Margaret, Oh, hey, Margaret, I just I read this article about couples that brush their teeth are 73% more likely to make it in their relationship in the future. Let's go brush our teeth. <laughs> By the way, that's, I made that up. That's not true. I just made it up for the illustration. So just want to be honest. But with a compassion person, you never really know what they think. You always might be wondering, is there something under the surface going on? But they're not telling me. They're just sugarcoating things and nicey-nice. And again, with the person of compassion over here, you wonder, do they really love me? Do they like me? Or are they always just trying to move things around to get me into the place where I'm likable? Well, I think when Paul is telling us to speak the truth in love and speak no lies, he's talking about a middle ground of taking the strength of candor and the strength of compassion and bringing them together in congruence. Congruence is holding the tension with candor and compassion together. I mean, there's a great strength in telling the truth. And there's a great strength in caring for the feelings. But if you can bring those together, that's where congruence happens and good things can happen. Because it is necessary to speak the truth in love for both those to come together. You know, there's times when you need to take responsibility for you. And you are going to have to hold the tension of telling the truth. And you're going to have to be brave and use candor to tell someone something that they need to hear. For us, for the relationship to thrive, they need to hear it. But there's also going to be other times when you need to hold the tension, and there's some compassion, perhaps, that you do not tell them the truth. And you hold that tension. Too quickly, we zip through the tension, trying to solve it and get moved on and make the tension go away. But we need to hold the tension of speak the truth, in love, and tell no lies. And if you're committed to that, that's where the flourishing in relationships can happen. And again, it's so much easier just to lie and get out of that situation than to do just a little bit more work to be honest and work it out. All right, do you want to take a quick dishonesty test for your own self or your neighbor? You can do this for them too. Um, 
Here's the test. Do you say the same things in the same way whether a person is standing right next to you or not with you? Do you say the same things in the same way whether the person is with you or not? Kind of an interesting thing. Because perhaps do you have higher candor when the person is not with you? And higher compassion when they're face-to-face with you? Well, a couple weeks ago, I had a fun experience of somebody telling me about a conversation that was happening about me that I was not a part of. And, um, man, they were talking about my deficits. And I've got some really good deficits. So they had a lot of interesting things to talk about, and it was fun. And, you know, just figuring out the psychology of me is, I, I imagine, really fun. So they were... They got to talk about me, right? And, uh, and I hope that was a good, helpful thing and they didn't have to just talk about TV shows. But that being on one side, but on the other side is another conversation that happened in the past couple weeks where somebody gave me the gift of congruence, where I, I just was filled up by this person in our conversation because they gave me the gift of candor, talking about my deficits, but also smashed up together with an appreciation for who God made me to be. Now, they weren't like dismissing my downfalls, but they appreciated who I was. And that conversation filled me up a lot. Seriously, a lot. So much so that I was very open to whatever that person said to me. In fact, I've been wondering, like, if that person would have said to me, Hey, Tim, I really think you should start ironing your clothes. Um, I would have done it. (laughs) But he didn't, so I won't. (laughs) And you can continue filling out the connection cards and putting them in the black boxes, anonymously telling me to iron my clothes. I know how that works. All right, let's go back to grieving the Holy Spirit and seeing in color. You know, Paul mentioned this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And he used that reference that they must have been aware of and familiar with. So I want to talk about this original place where Jesus gave the warning, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It happens in Mark chapter 3, where Jesus, being the amazing Jesus miracle worker he is, casts out a demon. And the Jewish religious leaders observe that. They see that. And they cannot accept what happened. They just are so against Jesus that everything in them shuts down and they just are against Jesus. So um, they say, look, by Beelzebul, he's casting out demons. And Jesus is is very confused. Um, He's like, look, guys, let's just talk about this on a rational level says, look, rationally, why would Satan want to hurt Satan? It doesn't make sense. Jesus says, if a house is divided, it cannot stand. But they didn't buy the rational argument. They were not working in their rational brain. So Jesus gives them this warning. And in this, Jesus also observes something. Because it's not just that they're against him, but they are totally going against everything they believe and their, their theology. Because at that time, Jewish theology was that if someone 
casts out a demon, it proves that they are from God. And so here these people observe Jesus cast out a demon, and what did they do? Not the next step of that person's from God. Instead, they go the other direction and choose a lie. Well, Jesus must be from Satan, and by Satan's power, he's doing this. So instead of admitting that what they just witnessed is what it is and fits in the system of thinking that they all agree on, instead, they go the exact opposite direction, leaving everything they know and believe to accuse Jesus of performing miracles by the power of Satan. So this is just craziness. And Jesus is like, I can't rationally deal with you, so I'm going to give you a warning. Here's the warning. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. And he said this because they were saying, he has an impure spirit. Oh, what a warning. Jesus takes that do not speak a lie one step further to say, do not blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And here's how Ronald Rollheiser unpacks and paraphrases this warning of Jesus's. He writes, Be careful not to lie, not to distort the truth, because the real danger is that by lying, you begin to distort and warp your own hearts. If you lie to yourself long enough, eventually you will lose sight of the truth and believe the lie and become unable any longer to tell the difference between truth and lies. What becomes unforgivable about that is not that God does not want to forgive, but that you no longer want to be forgiven. God easily forgives all your weaknesses and will always forgive anyone who wants to be forgiven. But you can so warp your own conscience that you see God's truth and forgiveness itself as a lie, as Satan, and see your own lie as truth and forgiveness. That is the only sin that truly puts us outside of God's mercy. Not because God refuses to extend mercy further, but because you can look mercy in the eye and call it a lie. The greatest danger in our dishonesty is not hurting others or tearing the fabric of moral society, although those are, those are pretty bad things too. But the greatest danger in our dishonesty is that it warps our own souls so that we are unable any longer to tell the difference between truth and lies. And then we can look right at God's love and mercy and grace and call it a lie. Life in color. Rollhauser follows up that paraphrase of grieving the Holy Spirit to say that the contrast, the profound contrast, is honesty as letting us see colors again. Honesty, letting us see colors again. And he tells the story of a man who on the outside appearances was doing just fine. You know, his life was pretty much in order. You know, things were 
going fine. But he goes to his counselor because he's feeling some discontinuity, incongruity within himself. And his counselor says, hey, suggest maybe these are some addictions that you could look into and work on. And the guy was like, seriously, these are not addictions. They're not interfering in my life. They're not causing harm in my workplace or my relationships or in my religious life. You know, yeah, it causes some incongruity within me, but it's not messing up my life, not hurting anyone else. So he takes his counselor's advice, actually, and does follow through, and he goes to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, for one direction, and he goes to SA, Sexual Anonymous, for another direction. You know, at first he balked, but he did go. And in going through those steps, he discovered a transformation. And here's, here's his report on this transformation, on his experience of going through this. He said, I see colors again. You know, before that, I wasn't a bad person, but I was always so taken up with my own needs and yearnings that most of the time, I wasn't really seeing what was in front of me. Now, I see in colors again, and my life is rich in a way that it never was before. You know what the bummer is for this guy? In the, my life is in order, things are going fine, is that he was living in black and white, not in full color. And it's how dishonesty just kind of overtakes our life and creates this cloud that squeezes us, squeezes us into it. Think about a couple of examples of how dishonesty has happened in our culture in recent days and years. Maybe you were shocked when you heard about this college admissions scandal. I don't know if some of you were there doing that, um, spending millions of dollars to get your kids' SAT scores and ACT scores up so they can get into prestigious universities. If that was you and you're denying it, I'm sorry for bringing it up today. But it's curious. I think there's this shock like, oh, these fairly wealthy people are trying to cheat the system to get the kids into school. Kind of a shock around that. But it wasn't this one moment, one time decision. It was actually this dishonesty that was probably all around the growing up and raising of these kids to protect them and to smooth things over and to take away and to help and assist that brought them to that moment where that was just the next step. Another situation of dishonesty is <clears throat> whenever you read about or hear a news report of a, a professional athlete who's caught doping, you know, using whatever illegal drugs to be bigger or stronger or faster or smarter, and it's always interesting because what do they say? Ah, I never did it. And they're denying. They just, they're living in this dishonesty cloud where they are now called out on it and they still won't admit it. Or maybe you've been a victim of dishonesty, something someone did to you in their dishonesty. Do you remember American Idol? That was a funny show because they would do these auditions and people singing and I don't know if it was a publicity stunt just to get your 15 minutes of fame on TV, but there were some people who could not sing. They just did not have talent for it. 
And they just made a big embarrassment of themselves. Do you remember this? Nick does. Ah, sorry. Um, but it's like dishonesty by the parents has created this child. You know, the parents are like, on compassion, like, oh, honey, I love hearing you sing. And it's probably true. I mean, I love hearing my kids' voices. I love hearing them sing. But there's, where's the candor? Like, you, I love hearing you, but don't go on that show. Just don't do it. But instead, these kids were victims of dishonesty, and they went on the show. It happens. Well, these ways of being dishonest are not new to humanity. You think and imagine God, after the first man disobeyed, God's wandering in the garden, looking for the man. The guy's hiding. Does God know where he is? Yes. But what needs to happen? Adam needs to fess up. He needs to become honest about what he did. He needs to confess, I disobeyed you. And why does he need to do that? So that relationship can be restored. I mean, just imagine if Adam just continued hiding forever, what would happen? Like, the relationship would never come back together. God would be wandering in the garden, looking, waiting for him to show up. But he just keeps hiding and hiding, living in black and white. And God's like, come, just confess, and I'll bring you back into full color. What is your lie? Your dishonesty, your secret that requires so much effort to keep hidden. And where are you living on this shaky ground that if you don't step onto something solid and be true to the truth of who God made you to be, your life in God in relationship with Him, embracing the forgiveness that's available and moving out. Who do you need to confess something to? Maybe beginning with yourself, a self-honesty, and then bringing that to somebody and speaking it and saying, this is the truth. And bringing that to God, who's the one who already knows and is just waiting for you to be honest, come to him and receive forgiveness and begin moving forward and seeing life in color. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace that welcomes us into your forgiveness, that it's only us standing in the way. God, I pray that we would be honest that you would shine your light into our life to help expose the dishonesty so that we can be honest and take that step toward truth. And God, I pray that you would bring restoration to our lives, our relationships, and our whole society by your truth being celebrated. I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.